Welcome to Success Secrets, the podcast where we dive into the inspiring stories of individuals who have overcome obstacles and achieved remarkable success in their professional lives. Join us as we sit down with entrepreneurs, executives, and trailblazers from diverse backgrounds who have broken down barriers and shattered glass ceilings. We explore their journeys, strategies, and insights and learn how they've navigated the challenges, persevered through setbacks, and reached their goals. Get ready to be inspired and empowered by the powerful stories of resilience, determination, and discover their secrets to success. We are excited to kick things off with our first ever season called Women in Fintech. In this captivating series, we will uncover the secrets to success from some of the most influential women in the fintech industry. I'm thrilled to have our special guest today, Monica Malares. Monica is an accomplished product leader and woman advocate who has spent the last decade building great product in fintech. Monica moved to Malaysia as part of Big Pay's founding team. She launched and evolved the product into what it is now one of the fastest growing neobanks in Southeast Asia, with over 1.37 million transacting users. She sits on the board of PayEd, Educating in Payments, and is recognized as Singapore's Fintech 65 product leaders and women in fintech. Monica's dedication to the fintech community goes beyond her day-to-day job. She is a podcaster hosting purpose-driven fintech, building products with impact. Monica shares her knowledge through her newsletter, Innovating Fintech, and also mentors young professionals to help them on their careers. So with that, let's get started. Welcome to the show, Monica. Such a pleasure to have you here. Hi, Lisel. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> of course, of course. It's great to have you here. I've seen all the amazing things you've been doing on LinkedIn. And yeah, it's great. I'm looking forward to diving into your success secrets and diving into more about you as a person as well. Thank you. Of course. Um, so yeah, why don't we start? Um, first of all, can you tell us about your background and also how you became the product principal of Big Pay? Yes, that's a very broad question. Um, <laughs> so my background, starting with, I'm originally from Mexico. I studied engineering. Then I got my first job in a development bank doing product. My very first job was in product. Uh, basically, we were creating a remittances service for Mexican immigrants in the U.S. to send money back home to their family in Mexico who did not have banks. So this mm. is like many, many years ago. That was my very first job. I was kind of doing fintech at the, at the time without calling it fintech. Um, then I moved to the U.K. I did my master's in London School of Economics. And then I stayed in the U.K. for about nine years. I worked in the big brands, Visa, Barclays, and then I had the opportunity just when fintech was getting started. At the time where months of Revolut Starling were getting started, we also had another company called Tandem Bank. And basically, I was extremely lucky, blessed, slash ready for the role. And I took the chance and basically I left corporate and I jumped from Barclays to this new startup. I remember when I left Barclays, uh, people were asking me, so, so where are you going? And I was like, oh, to a new bank. They were like, oh, what's the name? Like, it doesn't have a name. <laughs> and they were like, 
are you sure this is not a scam? (laughs) (laughs) So basically, that's how I jumped from corporate to fintech as such, Mm -hmm. that it Mm -hmm. was a leap of faith. I believed Mm -hmm. in the founder, Ricky Knox, and that's it. He had a big vision. It was a concept. What he had was a concept when I joined. He had the concept. I believed in him. I took the risk and basically I jumped. Uh, And then basically, I well, how I got into product, my first job was into product. Then I did different roles. And then back in Barclays, I was like, I like product. I want to go back into product. So I did a lateral move while being in Barclays. So when I moved to Tandem, I was already in product. So I moved as the first banking product manager uh, in Tandem. So I got to build credit cards from scratch, properly from scratch. Wow. Everything, everything. Yeah. So that was very exciting. And I think that was key for the rest of my career because then what it gave me, it was not only the expertise on how to do it, but it gave me the confidence of being, hey, there's nothingness. It's just a concept. And then months later, I was like, oh, my counterpart and I, we kind of led the whole project end to end. And now we have cards in the market. And just like I did that, I did similar with savings and lending, maybe not at the same scale, because as the team was growing, uh, basically I was handing over as the people were coming in. So that was my role in big, in uh, Tandem, which mm-hmm. eventually I grew within the company. I worked very closely with the founders. And so at some point I was helping in the CEO office, kind of doing more the product strategy, would you could you call it these days? and uh, helping Ricky with a board. And at that time, I kind of got a call, you know, one of those that it's like, hey, this great opportunity. And I was like, no, thank you. Yeah. I'm a happy yeah, yeah, yeah. here. <laughs> and that's how I ended up in Big Pay because they called mm-hmm. me again and they were like, no, 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 but we really want to meet you. There's this great opportunity in Asia. There is nothing <laughs> to lose. Just go for a coffee. And that's what happened. I basically mm. went for a coffee. I met the founders. And I always say they brainwashed me. I brainwashed myself. (laughs) And similar to what happened with Tandem, I was like, well, you just need to jump, right? And go for the opportunity. And it was, if moving to Tandem was a high risk move, leaving the UK and leaving Tandem to come to Asia, where I didn't know anyone with all these guys that I didn't really know who they were, to come and start a bank or a new bank from scratch, that was like even more courageous and yeah. higher risk. Crazy. But still, yeah, I was like, well, you can just do it now or somebody else will. So I, I said, love yes. it. Yes. And that's it. And that's how I ended up here. Amazing. I think, yeah, I, I love that you just took a big risk on your career and you're over there. How is it over there? Like, how are you finding it? Um, What's it like? Are you happy that you're there? Tell me more. Yes. Um, So I did take a big risk in my career, but what I did was a big bet on myself. I knew that I could, you know, like I knew that I could make it happen, Mm -hmm. that I was the right person to do it because of my personality and my experience. So it was like, a yes, I was betting on myself that Mm -hmm. I could make it work. And then the beginning, I've been here, I've been in Malaysia almost six years. It's going to be six years in August. Wow. The first three months, probably I cried every day. Oh my God. (laughs) It was very hard. The first three months were horrible. Culture shock, huh? 
yeah, culture shock and not having a support network. So yeah. what happened is I overestimated my ability to make friends and mm-hmm. I overestimated my ability to adapt to change. And then I underestimated the amount of change that I was about to go through. So it was yeah. like, wow, it was yeah, horrible. Yeah, yeah. Didn't yeah. like it, but yeah. I pushed through, right? Um, travel. There were two things that kept me going. One, the future reward that I was like, oh, I need to travel. Oh, I need to go to Australia, to New Zealand, to Hong Kong, to like, I was exploring the region and that kept me going. Mm-hmm. But specifically the first three months, probably what kept me going was in my mind, I was like, I cannot go back to the UK <laughs> and say that this didn't work out and it was yeah. tough. I was yeah. like, I cannot, I cannot do that. <laughs> You can't uh, defeat yourself and your ego. <laughs> exactly. So I was yeah. like, I just kept pushing. Uh, but now, obviously, it's been like almost six years. Obviously, I love it here. Otherwise, I always tell myself, like, if you don't like it, you just go home. Like, that's it. You can go mm-hmm. home to Mexico or you can go home to the UK, whichever home you want to go to. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I'm like, don't really like it, then I'm like, no need to suffer. Just go home. But obviously, I'm still here. So obviously... I like it. So obviously like it's both. going well, huh? Yeah, yeah. I like both work and the region. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I love Southeast Asia as well. It's The food is amazing, the culture, mm-hmm. and the people are lovely as well. Yes, and the weather. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And um, Monica, how would you describe your leadership style and how does it contribute to Big Pay's success? Yeah, I've been told... This is like, yeah, I've been told that I bring certain energy to the projects. Mm. I think it's enthusiasm. I've been told by different people in different words, probably what I bring is enthusiasm even when things are like difficult. So that's number one. And the other thing it's in addition to my enthusiasm is probably I create an environment of trust and collaboration. Mm -hmm where it's a very, I don't even know how I do it, but I do it. And I've been doing it since many, many years ago. Like even in tandem, my ex-boss would be like, oh yeah, Monica, you go and do that thing you do. It's like, I bring people together, right? So I create the space for people and I bring, I create a space where I bring the best out of people. And then I'm enthusiastic about the project and I believe in people. So probably... I don't have the word for my leadership style, but the outcome is I bring people together and we get stuff done. Nice. And I can sense your energy as well and your enthusiasm. Like it it makes me feel energized and happy. And I'm sure that's what you bring to the team. Like it brings them motivation and inspiration to to keep going, right? Probably. And that's, yeah, because I think it, that's also, yeah. It can get very tough. Exactly. Yeah. And you need someone that, that sees is happy, is optimistic and brings you energy when you need it as well and allows you to keep going. It's it's such a vital thing in a business um, to have that inspiration and that person that's like, we can do this, guys. Um, don't worry, like, we, we've got this. Like, having yeah, exactly. someone like that is so important. Yeah, because it's not just like, we've got this, whoop, whoop. It's like, yeah. we've got this, let's figure this out, right? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, I'm exactly. very... I'm very self-critical as well. <laughs> so I'm very objective. So it's like, uh, probably I don't like failing. 
so I come up with with the what needs to get done and what will be the blocker. Therefore, I unblock things even before they happen. Mm, I love that. Probably that's probably that's my secret. Mm-hmm. That's great. So finding out the problem before it actually happens. Mm-hmm. Nice, cool. And onto the fintech landscape because I know you are predominantly focused in Asia. Um, I wanted to ask, how do you see the fintech landscape in Asia um, evolving and what unique opportunities or challenges uh, does it present itself in? Yes. So when I moved, this is almost six years ago, the fintech landscape was almost non-existent. We were one of the first players. We had other competitors, but it was very, very, very recent. When we launched the company and we were testing like even before we launched to public, like when we were like doing proper closed beta testing, I remember like I would speak with customers and they I would ask them, hey, download the app, go through the onboarding flow. And we always reached the point that it was like, hmm, but why do I need a selfie? Why do I need to take a picture of my ID? And that was new here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it. It was new and there was a lot of resistance to do it because it was like, oh, why do you need a picture of my ID? That's my personal information. You don't need that. And I was like, oh, it's so that then you don't go to the bank. You know, it's like digitize everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Digitizing, so, yeah. Six years ago, that was an issue. So that fintech was that new. Of course, wow. now, now it's changed drastically. Like, and with COVID and digitalization, it's now I think Asia in many ways may be taking over the West. Yeah, so yeah one of the, it's at the forefront. Yeah, exactly. One of the amazing success stories that we have in Asia is the implementation of QR codes. So mm-hmm. we had, you know, all the card, card payments for everything. But then not that long ago, maybe two to three years ago, we, we, as in each of the countries in Southeast Asia, started implementing the interoperable QR. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if I bank with bank with HSBC or Citibank, let's say, and the merchant doesn't it, when this started, like the merchant displayed three to four QR codes and then you had to open the, the app, right? The specific mm-hmm. app and, and, and uh, scan one of the codes. Right now, it's like, it's just interoperable. You can scan with any bank. That's it. But what is the best thing? It's like, I think that really helped a lot with financial inclusion and uh, at an SME level and bringing everyone on board. But now, like, what's really, really going to be a game changer is... This interoperability is not at a national level anymore. Now it's at a regional level. So now I, as a Malaysian customer, I can go to Thailand. And with, for example, with my Big Pay app, I can scan the QR code from Thailand, merchant in Thailand, and I can wow. still pay. So that is proper wow. interoperability region wide. So that is super, super cool. That's amazing. And yeah, I mean, the adoption of QR, there, we don't really, really often see the QR codes in Europe, but every time I'm in Thailand and everywhere. Asia, it's everywhere. Like they're just paying with their QR codes. And it's, I think it's 
probably even better than contactless because mm-hmm. like you mentioned, it connects with all the banks. You just exactly. use your QR code and it's automatically connected to your bank through yes. a specific QR code. It's pretty amazing. Exactly. And it also helps, let's say, let's say all the informal commerce. Like mm-hmm. in Asia, there's still like a lot of food trucks, like a lot of informal Food, yeah, let's say uh, food uh, commerce. Uh, all of them have QR codes, so it's yeah. properly becoming a cashless society. Everyone has yeah. their phone. Duh, duh, duh. It's highly digitized. Young population. It's going up. Yeah, absolutely. I was reading an article the other day that seventy um, percent, around seventy percent of the Asian Southeast Asian population are either unbanked or underbanked. And the development of QR codes and mobile payments has improved this drastically because the people that you mentioned, the street vendors, when they are, when they're getting paid in cash or whatever, they can just simply go to 7-Eleven or somewhere and top up their digital wallet or whatever it is and use mobile payments and their QR code to pay for things. So I think it's, it's honestly so, it's a great way for financial inclusion for sure. Yes, it gives us accessibility. Exactly. Accessibility. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, great. And in your opinion, um, what are are some of the key um, contributing factors to the rapid growth of fintech in the Asian markets? I think the key thing is you've got a large population. Yes. You've got a very young population. You've Mm -hmm. got, they are young, but they are also digital savvy population. Mm-hmm. And they are demanding. <laughs> That's it. So those are the key things, and I think the market has responded well. Mm-hmm. And that—that's it's like people are using QR codes. That's it. People are not going back. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just create. It's just create such an easier life there. <laughs> yes, and the other thing is um, the region works really well as a as a region. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of commerce, there's a lot of travel happening across the region. So even though each country it's the region is very fragmented and each country has its own culture and you cannot assume that because it works in Malaysia it was going to work in Thailand. No, it won't mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. But at the same time the ties between the countries are very strong. Mm-hmm. And that has helped too. Yeah. So creating a strong connection, well, having that strong connection between those countries, which enables them to operate in a friendly manner between them and want to cooperate, that's that's what has contributed to the rapid growth of Asia, the fintech in Asia, right? As well. As well. Yeah, yeah. as well. The as interoperability, the yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Um, that's, that's really interesting to know. Um, and... Onto your your personal and, and leadership side, um, what are the, some of the biggest barriers that you faced as a female leader in the fintech world and um, how have you overcome them? Yeah. Um, I've never gone through any sexual harassment as such, ever. I've never been told, you're a woman, uh, you should not be here. I've <laughs> never faced direct discrimination because I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. That's I, good. Yeah. So I've been lucky. Um, I think I was blessed with my parents. 
because since I was a very young girl, like a child, they told me all the time, never allow anyone to tell you that you cannot do something because you're a woman. Mm. So in my mind, I never saw any limitations because I'm a woman. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the mindset in which I go to the world, like being a woman is not a thing, right? It's just like, I'm Monica. Yeah, I can do whatever I want. Exactly. Yeah, I can do whatever I want. However, since I was in the UK and I entered the corporate space, I remember being in Canary Wharf and going up the lift. And I was like, oh my God. I'm the only woman in the lift. (laughs) And then I was like, I think I got used to being the only woman in the room since the beginning of my career. Mm -hmm. And since very young age, I've been a foreigner, whether that was in the UK or in Asia. So that kind of added up. And probably for me, it was in my mind, it affected me more to be a foreigner than being a woman as such. Oh, wow. Different accent. You know, it's like a different nationality. Yeah. Don't have the connections. That was a big one. Don't have the network. Don't have the connections. So I never saw being a woman as something that's stopping me. Mm. Uh, So actually being a foreigner was more more of an issue for you. It was more of a challenge. challenge. However, being a woman, well, as I started growing my network in both uh, the UK and Asia, I think because of my nature, I started getting a lot of support as in mentoring from Mm -hmm. my peers and from my managers and from other people in in the industry because I ask for it as such. Mm -hmm. And then whenever I've faced a challenge, I have not attributed it to, oh, it's because I'm a woman. It's more of, a, oh, I've got this challenge. And then I'm trying to figure out the challenge. And mm-hmm. then I approach people. And then basically they mentor me. And then mm-hmm. I figure it out. Probably, yes, there's been once or twice that I've thought to myself, this could have not happened if I was a man. Yes, that has happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Without going into the details, yes, that has happened. Yeah. But overall, throughout my career, I've never stopped myself. Yeah. With That's the, good. hey, with that you're belief. a woman. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. If anything, the only thing that does anger me is the statistically, I earn 20 to 30% less <laughs> than my peer who's a man. So that annoys me, right? I don't have the visibility on how much my peer makes or whatever. Yeah. But statistically, based around uh, stats around the world, it is quite likely that I, that I earn 20 to 30% less of what I should. And mm-hmm. then that angers me because then I'm like, oh, if I earned right now, no, forget about right now. Since I was like in my mid-20s, if I earned 20 to 30% more, I could have saved more. I could yeah, have yeah, traveled yeah. more. Like yeah. how could my life been different if I could have earned that extra amount? Right the now, extra, if yeah. I earned like 20 to 30 per I'm like, oh, I could do like so much more with that money. You know, it's like yeah, absolutely. So that angers and, me from a and statistics you should also be paid perspective. Equally, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I because don't know. Because you're doing just I, as well as them. 
Exactly. Yeah. So th yeah. that's based on statistics worldwide. Mm -hmm. uh, so that angers me. Um, it should every woman. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um, and on this topic, what do you think are some of the factors why men actually get paid more than women? In all honesty speaking. That's a big question. I think one... I think that it's it's a it's complex, right? It's mm -hmm. not as like oh, it's because of that. It's different things. So one thing is lack of transparency. So we need to have pay bands. That's it. Mm -hmm. There's pay bands. It doesn't matter where you come from, how you look like, what's the color of your skin, what's your gender, what's you yeah. know, like it doesn't matter. It's based on. The role band of the role, yeah, that's based on a pay band. So that's mm -hmm. number one. And I think there's not as much tra transparency as it could, or even the structures don't even exist, especially if you're working in fintech startups, because somehow that gets left behind at the beginning when you're just building the fintech. You're like, oh yeah, we'll figure it out, we'll figure it out, and then time passes mm -hmm. by. Mm -hmm. So that's like generic. I think many fintechs have that issue. One is pay bands, and then number two. I think this is, um, yeah, it's biased, conscious and un uh, unconscious bias, both from mm -hmm. men and women. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, there is a thing of what's called like championing, right? So when it comes to performance reviews, are people in leadership roles doing objective championing? of who should get the promotion, of who should get the pay rise of, of all this transparency based on objectivity rather than unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. It's the unconscious bias and that's difficult, right? Because it's unconscious. So unless you bring that conversation to the room, it continues to be unconscious. The other thing, I think it's a narrative that society, this is my hypothesis, right? There's a narrative that society has told women that they have imposter syndrome mm -hmm. and that they are not confident enough mm -hmm. and that they don't know how to negotiate. Mm -hmm. I think that's BS. Yeah. I think women are confident, women are competent, women mm -hmm. know how to fight for themselves, women know how to raise families, like, you know, like, they are, like, very strong women. Yeah. <laughs> However, it's somewhere in their heads, society has Men and women, like both, both are equally ingrained guilty. Ingrained into the brain to believe deep down, yeah. Exactly, sure. ingrained that, in the brains that uh, we don't know how to negotiate, we don't know how to ask for a raise, we don't know how to disease, I'm in the syndrome, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Society has brainwashed us. Exactly, and I think many people may unconsciously believe that. Yeah. Hence, when you put all those things together, that's why we don't have rapid change because we need to change mindsets from mm -hmm. mindsets and infrastructure. Yeah, and that's absolutely. Hard. That's yeah. hard work. And it also starts from way before getting into the workplace. It also starts from growing up as well, having parents that actually, like your parents have like said, my parents. just because, yeah, we need to have more parents like that, that have said, you can do it just like, regardless of your gender you're just as capable as anyone else. I think it starts in the programming since a child, even teachers, even um, grandparents, everyone around us. I think it starts 
way before that, doesn't it? Yes. And to add to that, it's uh, role models. You cannot be that who you cannot see. Therefore, mm-hmm. I have this hypothesis. And that's why I started the podcast, my very first podcast. The, one of the reasons why I started that is because I had a hypothesis that if you were a woman that today was under 50, it is quite likely that your mother was not an executive in a bank, was not mm-hmm. an executive in a big company. It's quite likely that your mom was a stay-at-home mom Or Mm -hmm. she was working, but uh, not at an executive level. Therefore, all the women who are in working age right now, 50 under, or at least like 30 to 50, we did not grow up with a mom that she was a role model as someone who was an executive with an ambitious career and a mother and this and the other. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we're limiting ourselves on the what we can be. Therefore, yep. that's why it's so important to showcase women who are having successful careers so that then yeah. the younger girls are like, oh, yeah, that's normal. Yeah. You, you know, like, yeah, yourself, she lives in right? Asia. She lives yeah, in yeah, Asia yeah. and she's like yeah. doing these things in banking. Mm-hmm. That is cool. Yeah. Like she started having this company and she got yeah. all these awards like you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we need to normalize that for for younger women. Yeah. And the men. And- and and men, of course, of course. And also when younger women can see other successful women, they can envision themselves in that role. Um, and I think that's super important because then you won't feel as much imposter syndrome. You'll have that confidence to think, if she can do it, so can I, you know? Exactly. Yeah. But I think that's super important. And onto the role model support side, um, what role do you think mentorship and networking and role models in play, uh, like play a part in success for women in fintech? Huge, like huge. I believe, I personally believe that you become the sum of the five people that you hang out with the most. Your peer that. group. Yeah, it's true. That's it, your peer group. So if you surround yourself with supportive people, they will pull you up. That's mm-hmm. it. It's like average, right? It's like, whoop, it will, it will go up. And then as part of that thinking, at least in my career, since, since my very first job in Mexico, I always had someone in the leadership team to go to and ask questions. And they would teach me. I am where I am today because I had amazing managers and amazing peers. Mm-hmm. And of course, I was like a very uh, dedicated student and a hardworking person. Yeah. But the support that I've received from mentors and bosses has made a massive difference. As well, from a personal perspective, I've invested a lot of time and money and emotional energy into coaching. In coaching for yourself, coaching, yeah. Coaching for myself, nice. yeah. Nice. Coaching, personal development, seminars. So I think the, the mix of having a very strong mindset, a growth mm-hmm. mindset, a winning mindset, and knowing how to regulate your emotions with the ability to ask for help and then mm-hmm. going to someone and saying, oh, I'm struggling here. Oh, I'm stuck. Oh, it's really, really tough. What do I do mm-hmm. now? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. That makes a massive difference. And then yeah. what I've noticed is when your mentors are for real, like when you feel that they care for you, the impact that they have in your life is huge. I cannot even measure the impact that my mentors have had in me because, because it's because of them that I've believed in myself so much. And I'm just like, oh yeah, I'll just go. <laughs> but it's like, I was not confident for many, many years, but it's like through people giving you a helping hand and showing you the way in a caring mm -hmm. manner, mm -hmm. like genuine, it's not caring. It's like genuine. Um, we can, we can bring the best out of people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree on, on everything that you said on having that mindset, also surrounding yourself with good people. Um, investing into personal growth and personal development there's a quote that says the biggest the best investment you can make is in yourself and I truly believe that as well yeah um and yeah it, it really does pay off and having that growth mindset to always grow always learn always develop is really crucial in success for either women in business or women in fintech or anyone really it's yeah. it's super important um and if because I actually had trouble right at the beginning finding a mentor or a support network because I was the only woman in, on my team. What advice would you give to someone who is looking to find a mentor in the industry or like a support group? Yeah. So now it's easier than ever, easier than a hundred years ago. So when we say mentors, there's different types, right? So there is the person that I have access to and I have a relationship with and I may have a one-on-one -on -one with that person. That's what people think about a mentoring. Mm -hmm. Then you also have books, podcasts, yes. YouTube, mm -hmm. and you're having access to that person's mind via another channel. Mm -hmm. Podcasts, YouTube, and all that stuff didn't exist like 35 years ago. Now mm -hmm. it does. So take mm -hmm. advantage of that. Same as social media. And maybe like a year ago, I could be like, oh, you can send an email to so-and-so. And you know, like that's what I was told. Send an email to so-and-so and try to be helpful. Mm -hmm. As I, I do a lot of uh, mentoring, pre-mentoring. I put it on LinkedIn and then people come to me. But what I've noticed is as my social media keeps growing... I don't have time because mm -hmm. the amount of people that I'm reaching is bigger. Therefore, mm -hmm. it's like the de demand and supply do not match. Hence, you can still have access to me and my brain via social media as well. Mm -hmm. And that and is another podcast. way of mentoring. The podcast, yeah. the newsletter, the posts, yeah. you know, like you don't need to yeah, have yeah. like a one hour and you don't need to have like this formal mentoring session, yeah. re mentoring relationship. Like many of yeah. my, like one, one guy in the industry that I'm like, he's my mentor and he changed the trajectory of my career, probably by a decision conversation that we had a year ago or so. Mm -hmm. We did not say, hey, so-and-so, can you be my mentor? It was more <laughs> like, uh, hey, the opportunity came up. I had a chat with him. And since then, I'm like, oh my God, that conversation was like so good. And I still refer to that conversation in my mind. So we don't need to look for a mentor and create a 
structure around it. It's like, how can we learn from micro interactions with people? Having mm-hmm. said that, today there's many mentoring programs yeah. as well. So mm-hmm. I'm also part of uh, Women in Product Singapore. And then we do have structured mentoring programs where we have groups of women kind of going through the mentoring program as such together. So mm-hmm. today there is a lot uh, to choose from. You just need to be resourceful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're more. I feel like we're luckier than ever to have the accessibility to amazing, influential leaders in the industry or leaders in the business world. And all you have to do is listen to their podcast or follow them on LinkedIn or follow them on social media and pay attention to what they're posting and pay attention to what they're talking about because their words of wisdom are just really can help you in your career. And yeah, I think we're so lucky to live in this world and you can get it for free as well. Like I've listened to such amazing podcasts from like, for example, the diary of a CEO, you can listen to it for free. We're so lucky. Um, And yeah, I completely agree. Books, podcasts, YouTube, they can act as your mentor as well. It doesn't necessarily have to be a one-on-one thing. It can be everything. Like you just have to find the right people that you want to learn from. Yeah. Times have changed. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we are lucky in that respect. And also, I think for me, what I learned from was just, if I like someone, just reach out to them on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty easy. Don't be scared. And there's a saying that um, you have to create your own opportunities. Don't wait for them to come to you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay. And onto the diversity and inclusion side, this is obviously a topic that we love, we like to talk about, and I think it's super important these days. Um, and I think the more awareness that we can create, the more people are going to understand on why it's important. Um, so how important do you think diversity and inclusion is in the fintech space and how can we work to improve it as an industry? <laughs> well, <laughs> you're asking <laughs> what's, let me rephrase that. To me, it's kind of what's the importance of diversity and inclusion? It's kind of an obvious question, right? If you go to Google right now and you say, hey, can you give me the split of men to women in the world, like population? It's 50-50. 50 50, yeah. It is 50-50. 51 to 49. It's 50-50. So if the ratio of this population is 50-50, why would you have... Uh, 70 or 80 percent or even 60 percent you know it's like why 70 to 30 that doesn't make sense it doesn't make logic sense that's it and it doesn't make business sense for many reasons doesn't make business sense because you are building products in a very biased way for the whole population assuming that the whole population will think like you so when we talk about Diversity, yes, we have gender diversity, but it's 50-50. But there's diversity of thought, diversity of backgrounds, diversity of nationalities, diversity of experience, diversity of backgrounds. The other day I was in a podcast and we were talking about diversity of socioeconomic background. So fintechs, or at least in the banking world, you tend to hire all these grads from the best universities. That's it. 
Mm. But who is giving an opportunity to someone who did not go to the best university, but has really good, you know, like raw talent. Work ethic, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Work yeah. ethic, exactly. talent and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's a uh, diversity is just bigger than gender diversity. And by bringing mm-hmm. a the diverse point of view to the room, we have different voices. And then that creates dialogue, conflict, which is also good. Creates conflict, creates different perspectives. And then the outcome will be different because we think from different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good problem solving from different angles, seeing things from different points of view, different perspectives, and ultimately will increase your bottom line as well, increase your revenue because you're innovating, right? Exactly. And you're thinking outside the box. You've got loads of different heads who think differently to you. And yeah, there's so much to it. But it's like you mentioned, 50-50 in this world. Um that it's not 30, 70, it's not, if we get into more senior level positions, um, where I think it's less than 10% are in C-level executive positions, um, where it's like 10%, 90%, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, so. Yes, and the other one, I'm talking specific to fintech, um, a challenge that I've heard about is only 2% of funding goes into female-founded startups. Mm -hmm. So that's even worse, 2%. So as a woman, why would you want to invest so much time? Well, and you're an example, right? (laughs) I'm like, why would you want to invest so much time in starting a tech company Mm. if your chances of success are like almost zero just because you're a woman? You're like, no way, I'd rather help someone else because like, I'm not going to put myself that pain why good yeah and that is bad because then the whole world is losing out that's it yeah we're missing out on all these uh amazing innovations uh collaboration expansion value just because women are like why getting the funding yeah yeah it's like not getting the funding nor the incentive to do it yeah so that is not cool. But there is many women who are willing to go through the trouble, even though they know that they will. There's only two percent of funding <laughs> that will be allocated to them. And you, you, and many others are an example. So mm. kudos to all of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, and I think that's also another area that needs to change the, which will actually change the business world as a whole. The funding from the VC level, the investments. Because that's also very male dominated too. Um, so it's like we have to change and we have to create awareness for not just in fintech, but in the finance space as a whole and create that shit. Like it's not going to happen if people don't know about it. And up until I started my business, which was four years ago, I didn't even know those statistics existed. I didn't even know what statistics were like the amount of investment was going to women in this space or the amount of um, senior level women in this space is what I knew. Mm. I knew it was lacking massively. Um, But yeah, I didn't realize it. Like it's quite shocking really. Um, It is. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Uh, Last couple of questions for you. Um, What's one piece of advice you would have loved to give your 20 year old self if you could? 
relax. (laughs) (laughs) You will figure it out. That's it. Love it. You will figure it out. Yeah. Every single time you will figure it out. Every Mm -hmm. single time you figure it out and you end up, you know, you end up doing well. You're great at what you're Mm -hmm. doing. Believe in Mm -hmm. yourself. Love that. So yeah, relax. You will figure it out. No matter how difficult it is, it will get figured out. Yeah, you will figure it out. That's really nice. I love that. And a question that I like to ask, um, how do you balance the demands of being a successful um, principal product with your personal life and self-care? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) This is the answer that I've actually gotten. This has been a repetitive answer. Like, I don't actually know. Like, (laughs) it's very difficult. (laughs) Um, And I think that's not a man-woman thing. Well, in some cases it is. If you have babies, it is. uh, There's a differentiation. Um, I don't know. Like, each of us have our definition of work-life balance. Each of us have our priorities. Each Mm -hmm. of us have different habits and limits. I think what's important to know is to know yourself and to know what is it that you need to be happy. Sometimes you're happy working, right? I'm very happy working. I'm very happy doing podcasting outside of work. Yeah. It's so, like a nice hobby that's also benefiting you, right? Exactly. It's, it's yeah. fun. So it's, it's therapeutic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm very happy going to the jungle and going trekking and visiting and, you know, like traveling and yeah. meeting friends and speaking with my family and all that stuff. So I don't think, I don't believe in balance as such that it's like, yeah, you have like yeah. the right amount of hours for work and, and the leisure. Mm-hmm. But it's more about harmony. Mm-hmm. What yes, works best may, for you? Yeah, you may invest more time at work. Yes, and many of us do, right? Like we work long hours. Most of our days are at work. But then it's like, are you having that harmony between, hey, I have work, but at the same time, I'm reconnecting with nature. I am exercising, connecting with family, connecting with friends, connecting with myself. Like, do I have all those other areas of life incorporated in my life such that there is some sort of harmony? Mm-hmm. Might not be perfect, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it goes it with yeah how you feel at the time and how, like how your body. Feel. I think it's important to listen to your body as well because your yes. body will tell you like, oh, you need to break your tire, you need to rest. That's what I was about to say. The only yeah. thing that you do need to consciously think about is your health. Are you sleeping well? Are you eating well? Drinking enough water? Exercising? It doesn't have to be perfect because it's, well, at least in my case, it's not, but it's quite healthy, right? Mm-hmm. I have like my watch to track my steps. I eat quite healthy. I try to go to, to sleep early and all that helps me to feel better and have the energy just to be happy. And mm-hmm. then therefore everything that I'm doing, it has energy and then I'm happy overall. So health is the one that I would be like, prioritize health over everything. Yeah, health. Health is wealth. Mm-hmm. If you haven't got health, then you may as well, yeah, it's nothing it's else matters apart from your health, yeah. Challenging. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, um, so we're coming up to the end of the podcast now. I've just got a few fire questions. 
Um, what's your favorite book? I don't have a favorite book. I no? have many, 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 many books <laughs> that I love. <laughs> Fair enough. What would you say has like influenced you the most out of them? Uh, growth mindset. Growth mindset. Got it. Got it. Um, favorite food? Ooh, that's hard. <laughs> that's very hard. Uh, based on my habits, my favorite food is healthy food. Healthy food. Nice. Healthy food. I like that's that. My, based on my habits, on mm-hmm. what I actually eat. You can ask anyone in the office here in KL or in the UK and they'll say, ah, shit, so healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Health uh, is wealth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what's your favorite quote? Quote. Oh, my mom used to say, live every day as if it was the first day of your life and the last day of your life. Oh, I love that. That's so So, nice. I think it's that. Yeah, that's really nice. I love that. Yeah. And probably that's where like coming back to my leadership style that it's like, hey, enthusiasm. Probably there is some roots coming on that from that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Because you never know when it's going to be your last day. That's so true. I love that. I'm going to take that with me because that's an amazing quote. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Monica. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Lisa. Likewise. It's been been a very good conversation. Yes. And you too.